Good morning. Good morning. Is this going to work out for me here? All right. I don't know how many kids we have here this morning. We've got a couple, so I'm going to need some energy from the ones we have, okay? I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to see what kind of answers we can come up with. First off, uh, it is the Christmas season, so we're talking about Jesus as a baby. What do you all know about babies? Blank stares. Here's, they cry a lot. They cry a lot. Okay. Here's, here's, uh, I'll make it more specific. Can a baby drive a car? No. No. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Can a baby vote in an election? No. No. Can a baby feed themselves? No. No. Okay, so here, here's, the, here's the last question. Who here in this room was a baby at one point? Everybody. All right. So, kids, today we're talking about when Jesus was also a baby and what that means for us today. So as um, we go through today's sermon, you can look at the activity sheet and there's some questions there. And particularly what we're going to be focusing on is what Jesus as a baby means for our prayer life. Which might feel like a stretch, but we'll get there, I promise. Um, Well, church, it's good to see everyone here. Uh, Today is the second Sunday of Christmas, as Ford already said. It's the eighth day of the Christmas season. So today is eight maids of milkin' for those keeping track of the song. Um, No idea why anyone would want the kind of gifts that are presented in that song. But here we are. Eight maids of milkin' is what you're expected to give or receive today. Um... Given that this is the first of the year, and many of us, uh, if you're like me, are coming out of full-on hibernation mode from the last couple weeks, I thought I would try to keep it simple and just focus on a very familiar passage and one verse from that very familiar passage. In this one verse, I think, lies a mystery, though, for us to spend some time reflecting on. It's the mystery that the shepherds heard proclaimed by the angels. It's the mystery that led the Magi by a star to Bethlehem. It's the mystery that led Herod in his anger and wrath to kill innocent children. It's also the mystery that Mary, who we've been talking about throughout Advent, Mary treasured and pondered this mystery in her heart. This morning we're talking about the mystery of the Incarnation. So I have two simple goals. I want first to create a sense of wonder and awe around the mystery of the Incarnation. I want us just to simply sit with God incarnate, God wrapped in human flesh as a baby. Just sit with that picture. And then secondly, I think it has some fairly dramatic implications for our prayer life. And so I'll lead us from awe and wonder of the incarnation to our prayer life. And as I promised, just one verse, that's what we're going to focus on. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there with me today. Luke 2, verse 7. And this is what it says. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them 
in the end. This Christmas season and even before in Advent, I've been struck with that last phrase of that verse. It's been stuck in my head. There was no room for them in the end. For in many ways, it's just a throwaway line. It's a helpful explainer as to why Jesus, the one Gabriel called the son of the most high, would have ended up in a manger. There wasn't room anywhere else. But this short little phrase carries with it a story, and it's a story that Luke doesn't really give us insight into. There was no room for them in the end. We're not sure of the details of what happened. That hasn't stopped us from trying to fill in those details. It's created this extra biblical character in most nativity scenes called the innkeeper, probably best portrayed by Pigpen in Charlie Brown Christmas. (laughs) But we have no innkeeper. We just have this phrase, there was no room for them in the inn. And you can actually see some of the uncertainty play out in different translations around this, because some translations will call in a guest room, referencing the idea that maybe Mary and Joseph were staying with family, but there wasn't room in the actual house for them. So they were stuck with the animals. Still, other people would say, no, this this probably is referencing some kind of overcrowded public housing situation, maybe not an inn the way we would think of. But either way, what we know is that the Son of God was born into a place ill-equipped for a newborn. What we know is that Jesus' first experiences were that of poverty. He was in a position of lack immediately. Would Mary have wanted her firstborn son to be born this way? Much less the child born of the Holy Spirit foretold by angels. The nativity is a picture of fragile human humility. But at its center is God himself. I think we miss this often because we've become so accustomed to that picture of a baby in a manger. We've almost glamorized it throughout the years since. Uh, It almost feels normal and quaint to us now when we walk past a house that's got an activity scene out front, right? But this ignores the reality of the situation. This is not where a baby is supposed to be born. And the best possible care, even at that time, couldn't possibly be given to a child in that situation. It could have been downright dangerous, shameful, gross, unclean. Nativity isn't meant to be quaint. It's meant to show us what lengths God is willing to go to be with us. In this moment, God isn't just in the form of a human, but the form of a baby, and a baby who is in need. Is there anything more vulnerable than that? Nativity is an image of the God of the universe not only embracing humanity, but embracing humanity at its most fragile state. One of Jesus' first experiences as a baby would have been one of great lack. The son of the Most High, no place to lay his head, only a manger to sleep in. And yet, this is the wondrous and surprising truth of this image. This was God's plan all along. It was no accident that a decree went forth for all to be registered, bringing Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem, the city of David. And that means it was no accident that Jesus took his first breath on earth in a place of humility and poverty. Humility. 
not a great palace or even a house fitting for a newborn child. It was the plan of God for Jesus to be born and placed in a manger. And it was the plan of God for us to first encounter Emmanuel, God with us, in this way. Frail, vulnerable, and in need. These are all deeply human experiences that speak to how we were created in a position not of absolute power, but of dependence on God and on others for safety, relationship, and purpose. We're all born as babies, hungry, needy, and dependent. And even as adults, have you ever felt in need? Have you ever felt frail? Jesus knows, down to his earliest earthly memory, what that is like. The mystery of the incarnation is God embracing full humanity and yet remaining God. Full humanity and yet without sin. All the way down to our most basic needs, which we see so clearly and beautifully in a newborn baby. We read this morning from Isaiah 53, which is a passage often used during Lent, around Good Friday and Easter, to describe Jesus' death on the cross and all that he accomplished for our salvation. And in that way, it is a unique reference to the suffering that only Jesus, the Lamb of God, could undertake. But at the same time, read some of these descriptions with me from Isaiah 53. Despised, rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Again, these are deeply human experiences. These are vulnerabilities that, God of, that the God of the universe took on for us. It didn't just happen at the cross. It began with him taking on flesh as a baby with all the needy, crying dependence that goes with it. Even before he spoke, he was already fulfilling the passages of Isaiah 53. Even before he spoke, when he was still a tender shoot, as Isaiah says, he was embracing his humanness for us. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That includes the weakness of being a baby. And so theologians throughout history have taken their cues from scripture like Philippians 2, where it says that Christ emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, like to talk about the descent of God to humankind. Paul does not mean in that verse that there is an emptying of Jesus' divinity. Jesus is still fully divine. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as the creeds say. But how theologians have often described this descent is, and brace yourself for this, the voluntary restraint of the independent exercise of divine attributes. I lost some of you there. It's okay. I'm going to try to explain it. Um, Here are some examples, I think, of that voluntary restraint of divine attributes. The one who is outside of time enters into time. The one who is everywhere embraces being in a particular space. The one whose holy face would be our death puts on our flesh that we might see and speak to him. So there is this humbling, this restraint that is clearly present in the life of Jesus. And we see it too in this passage, because in this passage we see the second person of the Trinity, by whom all things are made, swaddled. 
So let's think about swaddling for a minute. Jesus was swaddled. God was swaddled. I don't know if anyone's tried this, but you can't swaddle yourself. Babies certainly can't swaddle themselves. It's something that has to happen to you. It was at that time an act of love and protection given by the parent to keep the child safe. It was something done to Jesus. But as God, he submitted to being a baby who needed to be swaddled. Because you and I need that too. It represents the radical vulnerability and dependence that Jesus had in that moment. The same vulnerability that we all have at that age. Again, is there anything more precious, more vulnerable, more dependent, more human than a newborn child? And here we have a picture of God assuming that place for us. There's no room in the inn. He's laying in a manger and he's dependent on his mother for sustenance, for care, for swaddling. God restraining his divine attributes all the way down to the point of being a baby. And so we can wonder at this beautiful mystery that God knows us now in this most intimate way, but we need to take it one step further because this wasn't just an exercise in empathy. By carrying his full humanity all the way to death on the cross, the voluntary humbling of God leads to our exaltation. This is why I had Second Peter read this morning because by, the, by embracing that vulnerability and need, by taking up our full humanity, and by then dying on the cross in that full humanity, Jesus makes us partakers of the divine nature, as Second Peter says. Participants of the divine nature. He comes that we might go to God. He embraces us that we might embrace God. The one born in a manger for whom there was no room, he is the one who comes to you now and says, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. By stepping into humanity, Jesus becomes our perfect mediator, our way back to the father and the joy of every longing heart. Okay, I said at the beginning, this would have something to do about prayer. How do these wonderful thoughts change how we pray? One idea. First, in the incarnation, we are encouraged to come to Jesus as full human beings. We should see no physical and spiritual divide. There is no topic out of bounds for our relationship with God. In the incarnation, he took on our humanity. On the cross, he took on our sin. What's left? There's nothing left us to hold back from God. Everyone has that room in their house that it's easier to just close the door when you have company coming than to clean it up. Maybe it's a junk drawer in your kitchen that you really hope your in-laws don't open up. Don't have that with God. The Son has entered into our most fragile humanity. He has embraced our dependence and need. God says, come. Tell me everything. I finished a book recently called When Prayer Becomes Real, and it's really good. I would recommend it. Um, But it came back again and again to this one refrain, this one statement. What God sees, he can hear. What God sees, he can hear. 
Bring everything to God. Your longings, your anger, your frustration, your lust, your sadness, your anxiety, your depression, your best thoughts, and your worst thoughts. God can hear all of them. And so we can bring our mess before God, but it also means, as Christians, we can enter into the mess of the world in prayer. God is not shocked by our practical human problems and needs. He knows them intimately. In response to the incarnation, we can pray for the practical and very real needs of the world, knowing that there shouldn't be this physical and spiritual divide. And then as followers of Jesus, we can enter into those needs, participating as partakers in the divine nature and as in the solution as best we can, watchful for whatever the Spirit might be doing. In short, we can intercede more fully and more honestly because God became man. Starting next month, we're going to have some opportunities at Redeemer to go and do just that as we're beginning an intercessory prayer initiative. Um, We'll be giving more information about this later, but once a month, we're going to create space for us as a church family to come together and pray for particular needs in our city. We'll also have desserts, so it's going to be good. Um, Be on the lookout for more information about that, and I'm happy to talk with you more if you want a quick preview before that information comes out. Um, What God sees, he can hear. More than that, what Jesus experienced, our full humanity, you can talk to God about. Don't be ashamed of your need, your want, your lack. These are the things that Jesus entered into without sin. These are the things he came to be with us in and save us from. In Christ, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. Because of his humility, we are partakers of his divine nature. I wanted to close today with some excerpts from a sermon by St. John Chrysostom. Many of you will recognize him as the author of the Paschal homily that we use during communion uh, around Easter. He tends to say things better than most, so... I thought, no, what better way to end than this? Um, so here are some uh, excerpts from Chrysostom on the ancient of days becoming an infant. What shall I say? And how shall I describe this birth to you? For this wonder fills me with astonishment. The ancient of days has become an infant. He who sits upon the sublime and heavenly throne now lies in a manger. And he who cannot be touched who is without complexity, incorporeal, now lies subject to human hands. He who has broken the bonds of sinners is now bound by an infant's bands. But he has decreed the ignominy of shall become honor, infamy be clothed with glory, and abject humiliation the measure of his goodness. For this he assumed my body, that I may become capable of his word. Taking my flesh, he gives me his spirit, And so he bestowing and I receiving, he prepares me for the treasure of life. He takes my flesh to sanctify me. He gives me his spirit that he may save me. Truly wondrous is the whole chronicle of the nativity. For this day, the ancient slavery is ended. The devil confounded. The demons take flight. The power of death is broken. For this day, paradise is unlocked. The curse is taken away. Sin is removed error driven out, truth has been brought back, the speech of kindliness diffused and spread on every side. A heavenly way has been implanted on the earth, 
Angels communicate with men without fear. And we now hold speech with angels. Why is this? Because God is now on earth and man in heaven. On every side, all things commingle. He has come on earth without, while being fully in heaven and while complete in heaven, he is without diminution on earth. Though he was God, he became man, not denying himself to be God. Though being the unchanging word, he became flesh, that he might dwell amongst us. What shall I say? What shall I utter? Behold, an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Amen.